so this morning we're looking at uh, a selfless journey. And when we think about our lives as Christians, we have to leave selfishness behind. We have to leave all that we think we are and take hold of all of who Christ is. And that means basically emptying ourselves. But there are some folks in the, in the story, in the account of Christmas, in the account of the nativity, that had to choose selflessness over selfishness. And so many times in our lives, we have to make that choice as well. You know, you might be a parent and you have to choose to work one, two. Sometimes folks have to work three jobs, you know, to, to make ends meet. That's very selfless because you know good and well you do not really want to have to work all those many jobs. You'd much rather just work one if it was at all possible and, and, and buy everything you want, you know. You want to buy yourself a gigantic TV and have access to every single sporting event you can watch on TV. But you know what? That's costly. So you got to make a few choices. You got to say, well, my kids need to get through college. <laughs> Sorry, just speaking out of count, you know. But, you know, you got to make those choices. You know, you got to say, I I've got to do these things. I've got to make choices so that our lives can be on the whole better for everyone. As members of a church, sometimes you got to choose to be selfless. Oh, I'd rather not come today. I'd rather not participate in this activity. I'd rather not do this or that because I want to do this. And you've got to sacrifice a little bit along the way. When I was studying this week, I searched up what are some of the most recognizable selfless acts in history. And I've got a couple here I'd like to read to you before I really get into the text this morning. Some of you may have heard of this fellow. His name is Alfred Vanderbilt. It says, when disaster strikes, men and women are capable of moments of pure heroism. Sadly, all too often, such acts are largely forgotten to history. Unless, that is, you were no ordinary person. If, say, you are one of the world's richest men and a globe-trotting person as well then your act of sacrifice certainly will be noted and celebrated for posterity. This is certainly true of Alfred Vanderbilt, who is remembered not just for his wealth, but the fact that he gave his life so others may live. To say Vanderbilt was born into privilege is something of an understatement. His great-grandfather, Cornelius Vanderbilt, left school at the age of 11 and then went on to make a fortune in shipping and railroads. Cornelius left the equivalent of $150 billion in today's money, to his son, who then doubled the family's fortune. So when Alfred inherited the family fortune, he had big shoes to fill, and fill them he did. For while he may well have scandalized polite society with his partying ways, he was also an astute investor, putting his money in real estate and, to a much lesser extent, horses. It was for the latter that Vanderbilt set off from New York aboard the Lusitania in May 1915. He was planning on attending a meeting of the International Horse Breeders Association in Britain, even though the waters of the Atlantic were teeming with German U-boats. Most passengers on the huge vessel assumed that since they were a non-military ship, they would be safe. How wrong they were. On the morning of the 7th of May, the Lusitania was attacked off the coast of County Cork, Ireland. 
it soon became clear that it was going down. Vanderbilt was, as a first-class passenger, given a life jacket. He gave it away. Then as the ship started to sink, he concerned himself with making sure as many children as possible got into the lifeboats. Given his status and given what had happened on the Titanic, he could have easily got a spot on a lifeboat himself and saved his own skin. However, he was still trying to save others when the boat went under the waves. Vanderbilt's body was never found. A reporter in the New York Times noted that he displayed gallantry, which no words of mine can describe. There was a village in Eum. History gives us plenty of examples of individuals sacrificing themselves so that others, even strangers, might live. But this village, a whole village, such cases of collective selflessness are rarely are recorded or happen indeed. For they, are, they aren't heard of as the case of Eum shows. Indeed, according to the history books, this small hamlet in the county of Derbyshire came together and decided to give themselves up so that their neighbors might be spared. The year was 1665 at the height of the Black Death. The plague was sweeping across large parts of Europe. And northern England was no exception. It's believed that in the summer of that year, a bale of damp cloth arrived in Eum from London. And it wasn't just cloth that arrived from the capital. Hidden among the material were fleas. And they were carrying the plague. So when a tailor hung the cloth out to dry, the fleas woke up and set about their work. The tailor was infected and like millions of others, soon died of the plague. Over the next few weeks, 42 other villagers died. And by the end of the year, many were packing up and getting ready to leave Eum in a bid to escape the Black Death. That's when the village clergyman stepped in. Though William Mompesson had only been in Eum for a short amount of time, he argued that its residents had a duty to others. He believed the village should quarantine itself so that the plague did not spread to surrounding towns and villages into nearby Sheffield. When the help of his with the help of his predecessor, Mompesson pulled off the impossible, he convinced the villagers to stay put. The decision had consequences. By the summer of 1666, five or six people were dying every day. In Eum, the mortality rate became even worse than in London. In all, an estimated 260 villagers out of a total of around 800 perished in the space of just a few months. No family was left unaffected. Through their bravery, the people of Eum succeeded in keeping the plague from spreading, saving thousands of lives. Remarkably, Mompesson survived. He left Eum soon afterwards, though wherever he went, his flock were weary that he would bring the plague with them. In my last account is the four chaplains. These men were named George L. Fox, Alexander D. Good, Park V. Poling, and John P. Washington. Collectively, they have become known as the four chaplains and are remembered for not only giving their own lives for others, but for offering comfort to those whose end was near. Throughout the Second World War, stories of heroism were commonplace. However, that of the four chaplains continues to be told and held up as a pure example of self-sacrifice. The four men had met in the Army Chaplain School at Harvard University. And while their backgrounds and faith may have differed, Fox was a Methodist minister, Good was a rabbi with a Ph.D., Washington was a Catholic priest, and Clark, a reverend of the Reformed Church of America, history brought them all together. In February of 1943, all four were aboard the Dorchester, or Dor Dorchester, I'm going to say it that way, a renovated luxury liner being used to transport troops. 
In all, 902 souls were on the ship as it sailed through the treacherous Atlantic waters from Newfoundland to Greenland. On the evening of February the 2nd, the enemy attacked. A torpedo from a Nazi U-boat scored a direct hit. The ship was doomed. Numerous stories came out of that night, mostly told by the surviving seamen. They all paint a remarkable picture of extreme courage in the face of certain death. All four chaplains got busy looking after others. They all gave up their life jackets and refused to abandon the ship. They tended to the men who had been wounded by the explosion caused by the torpedo. For those unable to get off the boat into safety, they offered spiritual counseling. Finally, as the Dorchester uh, started to vanish under the waves, survivors spoke of seeing the four holy men linked arm in arm, praying aloud to the very end. In 1961, the U.S. Congress approved a new and unique award, the Posthumous Special Medal for Heroism. Uh, was conferred on all of the four chaplains. They were, they were ineligible for the Medal of Honor since the rule states it must be awarded for bravery under enemy fire. All four men have also been remembered on postage stamps, in statues, and with chapels dedicated to their memory across the world. Self-sacrifice is difficult. It takes a commitment to others more than self most of the time to a greater good more than self. I want to take an intimate look choosing the greater good for others over choosing selfishness. When we choose to do what is best for others, we're exhibiting the characteristics of Christ to our fellow believers, our community, and to the world. From Luke 1, 26-28, we have the account of the angel Gabriel who interrupted the life of Mary for a grand and selfless call from the Lord. We pick this up here in Luke 1, 26. Excuse me, Luke. Luke 1, 26 through 38. And it says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. 
And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, first thing we're going to look at is Mary's selfless journey. We're going to look at Mary's selfless journey. Here we find Mary being uh, having this encounter with the angel Gabriel. Now, angels in the Old Testament, sometimes they came in the form in which they were created. Sometimes they came in the form looking like a human. But nonetheless, to have this formulate or manifest itself before you in the glory that, that it was. I mean, you think about Zacharias. We talked about him a week or so ago. And how the Lord appeared to him while he was burning. Not the Lord, but the angel appeared to him. And it frightened him, terrified him, scared him. And every account that you see of when an angel appears unto someone, it's scary to begin with. And it should be. Because it's very unexpected, number one. And that's something that scares all of us. When something jumps out out of nowhere, uh, it scares you. You know, something comes out or manifests itself. I don't know how that works. You know? Never had an angel appear to me. If I did, I'm sure I'd be scared, as you, all of us would be. We do know that angels in their natural form have the six wings. And uh, I'm pretty sure they're, they're uh, just from the descriptions, they're, they're pretty scary looking. But God allows us to be able to communicate at times with them. Not us communicate with them, but them communicate with us. Because God sends them. Angels' only purpose is, is to carry out a particular purpose that God sets forth for them. There's some that are set before the throne of God. Their, their job is to worship Him. There's the messengers, such as Gabriel. Gabriel, you find most of the time, he's the one bringing messages. He's the like chief messenger from the throne of God. You have uh, Michael, who is the chief archangel. He is the, he is the army leader. He is the leader of the Lord's army of angels. Now, we know that Jesus is the, uh, the, the Lord of Host, he's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, but there is a subordinate unto him that is Michael. So we have different angels that have different names. But nonetheless, here it is, we have the angel appearing before, uh, we have the angel Gabriel appearing before Mary. And Gabriel, once, once Gabriel spoke to her with the message of carrying the Christ child, her response is found there in verse 38 of chapter 1 of Luke. Where she says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. I've said this multiple times. Let is a submission word. It means to allow something to come in and control the situation. So she's saying, let God, I'm submitting to the will and the word of God of my, in my life. And let him do what needs to be done. And listen, as a young lady, most likely 12 to 13 years old at the time, most likely this was scary on a lot of levels. We, we don't really think about so much, we don't think so much about the, the fear of what it's like to walk back into your parents' In the Nativity Story movie, they kind of get it pretty good she, when she tells her parents, that I'm with child of the Holy Spirit, as many of us would today, sure. 
I would hope, you know, we would want to believe our children. We want to believe them, but, but you know, come on now. Really? Scripture shows that when that angel spoke to her, she was shocked and troubled by the statement. But, you know, she, she submitted to that. She said, let this be done unto me. She was a vessel chosen by God for a special purpose. She was chosen by God, but she needed to choose to allow God to do this in her. Let it be done in me. God calls us to respond to his calling. We have to choose to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He knows what is best. Sometimes what's best for us, we may not understand it because he knows what's best for more than just me. You, you, you look around and you think, how did God know? You know, how, how, I mean, God knows. My desire was to be an architect. I wanted to be an architect. My desire was to go to Auburn University, get a degree in architecture, and I even put it into the school yearbook. In 10 years, I'm going to be an architect, and I'm going to be living in Gatlinburg, drawing up house plans, okay? Obviously, that's not what I'm doing. God knew better than me. And God brought different people into my life at different times. And I submitted to the will of God over the desire of myself. And God has blessed me. I don't know where I would have been if I had chose selfishness over the Lord's call on my life. And we see that in, in Mary. Her response, let it be according to your word, reveals her acceptance of this service to the Lord. And by her selflessness, she took upon herself a dangerous path in her own culture. She could have been divorced. The formula ceremony for betrothal took place among the Jews, in most cases, a year prior to marriage. You know, usually uh, people have an engagement. Sometimes it lasts a year. Sometimes, some people last longer than that. I don't know how. But, you know, people get engaged, and in, in some people it's three months, six months, nine months, a year. But a betrothal was a little different. Her betrothal, betrothal to Joseph was more than a verbal agreement between two persons in love. It was a binding agreement that could not be broken except by divorce proceedings. You know, she could have been stoned by mob justice, which was legal under Jewish law. She could have been stoned. Adultery was strictly condemned in Jewish society, a reflection of God's own pronouncements through Moses. By becoming pregnant, her marriage to Joseph, excuse me, by becoming pregnant before her marriage to Joseph was consummated, Mary risked Condemnation is an adulteress and possibly, again, death by mob justice. She is most likely ostracized from her people. Nobody wanted to be around her. Nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to be her friend anymore. I would imagine the, the friends that she had were like, Mary, do you really think that we're going to believe that this really happened? Could you imagine the gossipers in the community that were saying all kind of unkind things about her during this time? Let's just think about it. A lot of people say those same things today about folks. It doesn't matter. The thing is, is do we care for the person who is carrying a child? What's happened's happened. 
You can't change the past. So regardless, we don't know how this community really responded. They had the opportunity to respond in a very biblical, but yet violent way. But yet they chose not to. But as far as we know, at this point, they had, not chosen, they had chosen not to. But we also see in just a minute, I'll, I'll reference why I think she was able to be saved from that. We'll get to that in just a moment. She took upon herself the burden that comes with carrying not just any child, but the Christ child. Could you imagine what goes through Mary for nine months? She is carrying the Son of God. She's carrying the Son of God. It's no exaggeration to say that her bravery in the midst of such uninvited threats is perhaps unparalleled in history. In this culture, in this society, in Jewish society, in this particular town, carrying a child outside of wedlock, although she was betrothed and Joseph had no part in it, her life was in danger every day she stepped out of her home. What a selfless act. Let it be done unto me. Let it be done to me according to your word. Mary showed courageous faith in the word of the Lord. When God calls us to do great things for him, in almost every case, the individual must put aside their own safety and preferences and respond in obedience to God's mission for their lives. In what ways have we chosen God's call over our own comforts? When we think about that day, in what way or what ways have we chosen God's call over our own comforts? God calls us to do uncomfortable, hard, self-sacrificing things. What have we done? Mary says, I'm willing to carry a baby. Nine months with no earthly father claiming it as their own yet. I say yet. Because she don't know how Joseph's going to respond to this. She don't know how her parents are going to respond to this. She don't know how her community is going to respond to this. But she knows what God has called her to. And she stood with it. And she walked with it for nine months. And then she lived with it for the rest of her life. Listen. It was a selfless journey to Bethlehem. For Mary. Because she knew the reason why Jesus was to come was to save his people from their sins. Let's look at Joseph's selfless journey. Flip over to Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1. Beginning there in verse 18 down to verse 25, I'm going to read that to you. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. 
But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Now verse 24 is the focus verse that I'm thinking about this morning. It says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Joseph is betrothed to Mary. Customary of betrothal, the first stage of it was the choosing of a spouse. And the family in ancient Near Eastern culture usually initiated the, range, the arrangements. Although we find in the Old Testament examples of young men and women uh, making their purposes known, customarily this was... Uh, the parents of the young man chose a young woman to be uh, engaged to their son. Young men and women were often pledged between 12 and 13 years of age, although later rabbinic texts suggest that men in Jesus' day often married around the age of 18. Now, the second stage of betrothal involved the official arrangements in a formal prenuptial agreement before witnesses. The young man and woman entered into the state of betrothal or engagement. This was a legally binding contract, giving the man legal rights over the woman. It could only be broken by a formal process of divorce. The terminology of husband and wife were now taken uh, during this uh, second stage of betrothal. In Galilee, sexual relations between the betrothed partners were not tolerated, and the girl did not leave her own family to live with a man. Sexual unfaithfulness during this stage was considered adultery, the penalty for which was death by stoning, although by New Testament times, stoning was rare. If one of the partners died during the betrothal period, the one remaining alive was a widow or a widower. That's how serious the betrothal process staging was. Now, Joseph learned of Mary's pregnancy uh, without the cushioning uh, he learned of it from Mary. And then later the angel comes and talks to him. So he finds out about it. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting. Again, I, I reference this movie a lot because we've watched it for many years now. Mary has gone off. She, you know, she finds out she's pregnant. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, co uh, comes over her. And then uh, the angel says, your cousin Elizabeth is in her old age is expecting a child. And so she goes and visits Elizabeth, and when she comes back, she's got a, a little baby bump. You know what I mean? She's, she's well on her way, okay? And so she, in, in the movie, she's riding on a cart with her family group, returning back from where Elizabeth lived, and when she, uh, you know, the people are all excited, oh, Mary's back, Mary's back. And when she gets off, this little, you know, whatever it is, Julie's got one of those little 
jacket type things on this morning. And when she, when she slips off of the uh, cart, it kind of falls back. And then they can see her belly and they're like, oh. Now, granted, I don't know if it happened that way in real life. You know what I'm saying? But the movie does a pretty good depiction of how it probably and quite possibly happened. And everybody's like, oh, something's happened there. And, and they're like, Joseph. And Joseph's just like in shock. He don't know what to think. She's been gone for, we don't, we don't really know exactly how long, but she was there until Elizabeth gave birth. So it was from the sixth month. So it was about three months she might have been there with, with Elizabeth. So she stayed there with Elizabeth till the baby was born and came back. And you're like, oh. And Joseph's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? Joseph was a righteous man. The Bible tells us right there in that text. It says he was a, he was a just man. He was a righteous man. So he's trying to think, you know, I, I care about Mary. I, I love her. I care about her. I, I want to do what's right. But at the same time, I mean, I, I, this, this ain't same mine. So what am I to do? And so he begins contemplating this whole, this whole action that he might have to take to divorce her. And there was such a thing as a private divorce back then. It just needed to be in front of the witness of two or three people. And that's what he decided to do. He said, you know, I, I really don't want to bring any shame on Mary. But also don't. You know, I, this isn't my child. So he lies down one night. And so the angel comes to visit him. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and tells him all about this child. And I think when you read there in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, we find a great message realizing how selfless Joseph needed to be. Verse 21 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If Joseph would have step, stepped away from this relationship, most likely Mary would have died by mob justice. Most likely. But Joseph, being a righteous man, a just man, God knowing that he would choose to do the right thing, chose him to be the adoptive father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the earthly father. Listen, adoption is one of the most beautiful things that we can have in this world today. When we think of Joseph, that wasn't his biological child. But yet, we see him raise him. Joseph, we understand uh, and can come to the conclusion that he was a carpenter also. And Jesus learned the trade in, in the same fashion of any child would of their earthly father. And Jesus also being a carpenter learned from his father. Now we don't hear much about Joseph beyond the nativity story. It's the only time we hear about him. Some have argued that Joseph was considerably older than Mary. And maybe he passed away, we don't know. But we don't hear much else about Joseph. But I'll tell you a few things that I see from the life of Joseph. He took upon himself the mantle of responsibility for a child not biologically his. 
Some of you in this room maybe have done that. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is to an extent uh, blood kin. You may have had to raise a, a grandchild. You've raised that child as your own. You've loved them as your own. It might be that you've raised somebody else's kids. I don't know. But this is the, this is the task to which God had called Joseph with. To be the adoptive father of the Son of God. Hmm, I don't know. That's a pretty big mantle and responsibility to tote. He took the burden. I just said that. He took the word of the Lord from the angel with its calling. He understood his responsibility to be counted in the line and in the hometown of his family. He loved his wife and proved it by staying with her, not divorcing her, and removing her from her hometown to go with him to Bethlehem for the census to be counted with him. A, scripture doesn't really give us a time frame as to exactly when he left to go to Bethlehem. That's something I, I read from several of the commentators as I was reading. We don't know how quickly he decided, uh, how quickly the angel came to him. We know this, that when the angel did come to him, he arose, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Without hesitation, he said, I'm doing the Lord's will. I'm doing what the Lord has told me to do. How many of us could learn from the example of Joseph? And when the Lord tells us to do something, we get on it. Selflessly, we put aside our own selfish desires. You know, we don't know exactly what all Joseph was doing. In the movie, he's preparing a house for them. But we don't know exactly, but we know this. He arose from his sleep. And from everything that we see here, went and said, Mary's going to be my wife. Stood before her parents because that's where he was going to have to go. And her parents may have been like, I don't know if we, you know, we don't know. There's no account really of Mary's parents anywhere, which is interesting. No account anywhere. So we really don't know. We, we just kind of guess, you know, how challenging that would be as a parent to receive such news. But Joseph comes in and says, I'm taking her as my wife. I'm standing with my wife. I have been betrothed to her. She has been betrothed to me. And we will be together. And he removes her from the situation of her community. And takes her with him. You know, because of its betrothal, you know, nowhere does it say that she really has to leave her parents' house. So many of the commentators, and, and I think it's a pretty good viewpoint, is that he took her with him to remove her from that situation. Because he loved her. Selflessly, he took her with him on a long trek back to Bethlehem and went that way so that they may be counted in the senses as they should be. Like Mary, Joseph chose courageous faith in spite of the high price he knew it would pay, he would pay for the obedience to God. You know, we're not always informed in circumstance as to what is happening. But if we remain faithful to the Lord, if we remain faithful, the Lord will use us in His plan. How He uses us will look different to each individual, but God is using us to complete His plan of salvation somewhere in someone's life. God is using us to complete His plan of salvation somewhere in someone's life. We just need to be faithful. 
Just as Joseph was selfless in a hard time to lead his family, men, we too should step up and lead in hard times in our families. Joseph could have thought only of himself, divorced Mary, kept his righteousness intact, but missed a great blessing through being obedient to God's call in his life. What blessings have we missed by our selfishness instead of being selfless and seeing God work? What blessings have we missed? And lastly, let us look at Jesus' selfless journey. So often we forsake really viewing Christ, the infinite word, as being present in the midst of the nativity story. You know, we, we just view Jesus as a babe, a finality of many of the Old Testament prophecies. Just, we don't see a lot of, his, we don't really talk about his, his true presence there. But the babe that was lying in the manger was only months removed from sitting at the right hand of God. The babe that was surrounded by the smell of shepherds was recently removed from being surrounded by the glory of the Lord. The babe that lay in the manger was swaddled in cloths was recently removed from his kingly robes. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he gave it up for you and for me. So as we think about this selfless journey, we've looked at Mary, we looked at Joseph. Let's, let's look at Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. He became poor, born in a stable. Born and laid in a trough where animals should be eating. Our Lord and Savior. He became poor so that we might become rich. All the glories of all the glories of all things set aside. So that a star may shine down and reveal unto wise men where they need to come. A star shone over so that the shepherds may know where to go so that they can gain the message of what they need to go tell. This was our Savior becoming poor for our sakes. Philippians 2, 5-8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Listen, Christ came and that babe in that manger chose from God's, uh, from God's will and God's word. He wanted him to come and submit himself in humanity. He walked the creator of all creation walked within the creation so that the creation may one day walk with the creator. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus took the call to become flesh. Jesus took on the life of humanity and walked it without sin. 
Jesus made himself of no reputation. And he had the greatest reputation in all the world. And he comes to earth and all the universe, the world, the universe. And he comes and he makes himself of no reputation. He's like, the Bible tells us there was nothing about him that made people want to come to him. He wasn't a handsome fella. Matter of fact, it almost says he was ugly. You know, everybody wants to see a pretty baby. I don't even know. He might have been an ugly baby. But the bottom line is this. People came to him because he had the word of God. He was the word that became flesh and and dwelt among us. And they came to him because in him was truth. And people are always looking for truth. And we will find truth in him. We will find life in him. And we will find the only way to the Father through Him. Jesus selflessly chose the will of the Father over His own. Even in the garden we see that. He says, Father, if there's any other way for this to happen, but not my will, but Thy will be done. Jesus knew while in the womb that one day He was going to be encapsulated in a tomb that wasn't going to be able to hold Him. Because his, his job, his duty, was to bring redemption for mankind. His death, selflessness, leaving a throne of glory to die in our place. There's no greater act of selflessness that's ever been recorded. No person on a ship going down. No person uh, in, in any way, shape, or fashion comes close to the sacrifice and the selflessness of Jesus Christ our Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm not even talking about God the Father. I mean, it is the triune Godhead, but the Father gave his only begotten son. I could talk about his selfless act, but I ain't got enough time. But I will talk about this as we conclude today. What is our, how do we respond to these selfless journeys? How should you and I respond to knowing? For us to be selfless, we must be full of Christ. I've heard it said, we don't need, we don't need to think less of ourselves. We just need to think of ourselves less. And that's the truth. We've got to think of others more. We've got to think of Christ. We've got to think of our fellow man. We've got to think of our church body. For us to be selfless, we must be full of Christ. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is written, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, we place our faith in Christ, who selflessly came through the selfish submission of Joseph and Mary to the word and will of God. We live our faith in Christ who selflessly came through the selfless submission of Joseph and Mary to the word and will of God. And what we should do, we should share our faith in Christ who selflessly came through the selfless submission of Joseph and Mary to the word and the will of God. 
When we think of the journey to Bethlehem, you cannot remove selflessness from the journey. You cannot remove it because it begins with God's great gift of selflessness and self-sacrifice, self-sacrifice by coming and dying on the cross in our place for our sins.